So today we are continuing in our series in Genesis. We're continuing to look at the very first book of the Bible and what it says about God, what it says about the world he created, and what it says about what that means for us who live in that world. And so again today, we're going back to the beginning to find answers to the questions that we're asking. And today specifically, we're gonna be asking the question, what does Genesis say about family, marriage, and parenting? And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna be camping out in verse 28 today for the majority of our time, but we're actually gonna start reading in verse 26 to set the stage for what God is gonna say to us through the Bible in verse 28. So we pick up the story of Genesis chapter one in verse 26 with this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the beginning of the human story starts with God creating humans in his image, which is an idea, a reality that is so foundational to who we are as humans and how we're meant to live in the world that before we go any further into the story of Genesis, we need to stop and ask, what is the image of God and how does the fact that we are made in God's image affect not just the way we think about who we are, but how we live in the world that God created. And so in verse 26, we see God say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, when, when, when God says this, this means that we are not God, but we are like God, that we have inherent worth that cannot be taken from us because we bear the image of God. The Latin word is imago Dei. It means that we have the capacity to mirror God to the world around us. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. It gives us value and it gives us a way to be and to live in the world. That somehow through who we are and how we live, we are to reflect who God is to the world, to show the world who he is and what he's like, to make visible the invisible God by the way we live that the way we exist is to be a reflection of God, the way we relate is to be a reflection of God, and the things we do are meant to be a reflection of God. This is true of every single human person who has ever lived on planet Earth right from the beginning. And this alone puts humans in a whole other category, a special category than the rest of creation. And this alone puts the God of Genesis apart, it sets him apart from every other God in the ancient world because every other God in the ancient world created humans almost as an afterthought and to basically do their bidding. But not this God. This God stamps his image into us. This God begins his relationship with us by blessing us. Look again at how verse 28 starts. It starts by saying, and God blessed them. This is God's first act after he creates humans. This is how the human story in the world begins with God putting his favor and his attention and his special affection upon us by blessing us. 
See, this God, the God of Genesis, the God we've been talking about from the very start of this series, this God, his first posture towards humanity is one of blessing. And it's not just here in the beginning of the biblical story, but it's all the way through the story of the Bible that the God who blesses at the beginning is a God who continuously reaches out to bless us over and over and over again, despite all the different ways that we fall short. This is the God of Genesis. This is who he is right from the start. This God stamps us with his image. This God moves toward us to bless us. And this God wants to partner with us to make something of this world. And we see this next in verse 28 as God speaks to humanity for the very first time. And notice that when he speaks to them, the very first thing he talks about is family. Look again at verse 28. It says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So blessing first and then family. God says, go into the world and have babies and fill the world with people who know me and who will go out into the world and show the world who I am and what I'm like. In other words, this command from God, the first command he gives to humans is to fill the earth with image bearers. And so there it is. Family is at the forefront of God's plan for humans right from the start. But here's the thing about this. When it comes to family, I acknowledge and I recognize that not all of us have a good experience of family. Not all of us are married and some of us uh, tragically are unable to have kids. And so I recognize that as we come to this topic of family, that it's this both and kind of thing, that from the beginning, family is meant to be a blessing, but so often it's a place of brokenness. And so many of us have pain when it comes to the family we have or the family we want, but don't have. Family wounds are real, that what was meant from from the beginning as a blessing can actually be a place of great brokenness. And so I want to acknowledge that and I want to grieve alongside you that what God is intending here has not come through for you. And I also want you to know that what Genesis is presenting here in regards to the family isn't the only way to be human in the world. It's only one way to be human in the world. To be fully alive in the world doesn't mean that you have to be married and have kids, even though it feels like it, doesn't it? And so as we come to this topic, as we continue to to dive deep into what God is saying to us in verse 28, what I want you to know is that this is just one way that God wants us to be human in the world. And we're gonna get to other ways in this series, but for today, we're gonna be camping out on this topic of family because that's where Genesis is taking us. Now, having said all of that, I also want to say that just because there is brokenness in families, it doesn't mean that God's vision for family is broken. See, his vision for family and marriage and parenting is still beautiful and compelling and alive, even though it's been deeply affected by human choices and human selfishness. And so what we need to hold on to as we come to this topic is that the answer is not to throw out God's vision for family Rather, the answer is to investigate it so that we can both understand it and recapture it for ourselves, which is what we're going to do with the rest of our time together. And so back to verse 28, it says, And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, on one level, all this means is get married, grow a family, and raise kids. 
This is the most common way to read this passage. And if you read it like that, we're not reading it wrong, but we are missing the deeper and the greater thing that God is saying here. Because what God is saying, the deeper truth and reality that we want to press into together today is this, is that parents are meant to multiply image bearers, not just kids. The parenting is about so much more than the physical act of procreation. In a lot of ways, that's the easy part. It's definitely the most fun part. But in reality, the most important job begins after with the work of shaping a human who will go out into the world and make the invisible God visible in every room, every relationship, every workplace, every sphere of life. This is the greater and deeper purpose for parenting. And what Genesis is offering us is the perspective of parenting that shows us that when it comes to being a parent, that task is the task of drawing out the image of God in our kids and guiding them to represent God in the world in their unique way. And when you see it from that angle, you start to see what an incredible privilege it is to be a parent. I mean, just think about it. When God gives us the gift of a child, he is entrusting us with someone that has been on his mind before they breathe their first breath. And we find this idea in a book of the Bible called Psalms where a man named David is praying. And as David prays, listen to what he says. He says this in Psalm 139, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I mean, how amazing is that? That we are on God's mind before we ever lived a single day. That your kids and my kids were on God's mind before they had ever drawn their first breath in this world. That before we knew them, God knew them. Before we ever loved them, God loved them. And then God orchestrates your life and your spouse's life to come together at just the right time to create this child, the child you call your son and your daughter. And he puts them into your hands and says, go and raise them to know me and show the world who I am and what I'm like. I mean, that's incredible. It's such a privilege but it's also unbelievably hard. You know, my wife and I, we have been blessed with the incredible privilege and joy of having two sons, Levi and Jack. And when I look at my two sons, what I see is gifts from God. Beautiful, precious humans who are valuable to God and have infinite worth and value in his eyes and in our eyes. That's what I see when I look at our boys, but what I also see are two people who are unfinished and who need someone to guide them to become all that God created them to be in this world. It's both. And Kath and I, we get daily reminders of this, like the time our oldest son, Levi, we were spending time at home as a family, and he just kind of wandered off, and Kath and I were hanging out in our living room, and it got really quiet, and as a parent, you know that when it gets quiet, Alarm bells need to go off because something is happening that you need to go and figure out. And so we went to go search for our son. And so we looked through the house and we eventually found him in the bathroom drinking the water from the toilet brush holder. We see him standing there and he looks at us and he says, Look, I was thirsty and I found water and our stomachs recoiled and right there, our boy made in the image of God with eternal value and worth and yet he's trying to quench his thirst with water from the toilet brush holder. 
This is what we're working with as parents, that someone who arrived with the image of God stamped into them, someone who I love and would do anything for, but someone who needs to be loved and he needs to be shepherded, who needs the image of God to be drawn out in him so that he can become all that God created him to be. And I'm all in on that because after following Jesus and loving my wife, that is the most important thing I will do on this planet. And let me tell you, as I studied for this message and in the lead up to this, this hit hard for me. It was such a reminder that there is nothing more important for Catherine and I than to raise two men after God's own heart. It challenged me once again to press in, to continue, to be present to my kids despite the sacrifice, despite the sleepless nights, despite the tantrums and being asked to give more than I want to give. It challenged me that I have such an incredible privilege and as hard as it is, it is worth it. And it just might be that the unfolding of two image bearers is Catherine and I's greatest contribution to this world. And I need a reminding of that because the, in the daily grind of parenting, it's so easy for, to forget why we do this. I think Paul Tripp, author and pastor, sums this up so well. He says this about parenting, that in the middle of all the endless parenting activities, many parents get lost. They are doing lots of things, lots of good things, but they don't know why. They've been swallowed up into the daily grind of parenting, but they've lost sight of what it is that they're working for or building towards. They don't understand why these ones that they love have the power to pull such irritation and frustration out of them. The menial tasks that they do have, have to do day to day get reduced to an endless catalog of unattractive duties that don't seem to have any overarching vision that holds them all together and sanctifies them with meaning and purpose. And now if you're a parent, you probably felt this because I know I have. And that's why this message matters because when we lose God's vision for parenting at the beginning, we begin to lose what it means to be a parent. And to be a parent is to carry the responsibility of multiplying image bearers, not just kids. This is the task and the challenge for those of us who are parents. Now, okay, that's, that's great, but this leaves me with a question. How do we actually go and do this? How do we actually unfold image bears? Well, for the rest of the time, I wanna try and answer that question by giving us a few places to start. This list isn't going to be exhaustive and we definitely don't have the time to do a really deep dive in each of these areas, but I think that they will give us good handles, good starting places for the task of unfolding image bears. So here we go. The first step to begin unfolding image bears is this, start with your marriage which might seem counterproductive, but if you dig into the research a bit, what you find is that having a healthy marriage is actually the starting point for healthy kids. Because here's the reality that everything your kids need to know about being in the world and living in relationship is in some way or other caught from their parents. They pick it up, they absorb it. And so if you want to unfold image bearers, then you need to tend to your marriage. And there's lots of ways to do that, but for us, we're actually going to stay in Genesis and see what God intended for marriage right from the beginning. And this is laid out for us in Genesis 2 as God brings to Adam, Eve. He brings a husband and a wife together, and then he tells them, this is what your life is meant to look like. Look at what, he's, what he says about this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife 
and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's vision for what marriage is meant to look like, feel like, be like. It's a relationship of oneness and lifelong commitment. And it's a relationship where husbands and wives are naked and unashamed with one another. Which means that with your spouse, you feel safe enough to let down your walls and hold nothing back from one another. It means that you know that with your spouse, you can be unashamed of who you are. That there's safety there to be who you are with your spouse. It means that you feel safe enough to show your spouse the real you, that part of you that you hide from everyone else. It means that you see and welcome and love one another for who they are, that you cheer them on, you celebrate them, you champion them to be who they are and to go out into the world and fulfill the purposes that God has for them in this life. This is what naked and unashamed looks like and this is God's heart for your marriage. That marriages would be a place of oneness and intimacy and vulnerability and a sharing of your whole self. And of course, we know that something has gone wrong with this. And instead of this naked and unashamed life together, that so often we experience the opposite. That instead of having that intimacy and vulnerability that God intended from the beginning, shame and fear and defensiveness rise up and cause us to hide from God and from one another. And Christianity says that you can trace the cause back to what happened in Genesis 3 when sin enters the world and twists everything that God created good. But even though what we see in Genesis 2 has been buried by what has happened in Genesis 3, God's vision for marriage isn't changed. It's not dead, it's still there and it's still possible. And so if you want greater intimacy with your spouse than you currently have, why not get started by asking yourself a few questions? Start by asking yourself, what scares me the most about the thought of being vulnerable with my partner? Ask, how can I lay down my defenses to really hear and be curious about my partner and, then, and their experience? I mean, take a risk and ask these questions for yourself and then once you have some answers, go and share that with your spouse. So start there, but then also ask your partner, what do you need in our relationship so that you can feel safe and championed and loved? and then just listen without defending or interrupting. Start there, give it a shot, even though it's risky, even though it's hard, because as you do this together, it will breathe oxygen into your sexual intimacy, relational intimacy, emotional intimacy, and you will begin to start to experience that naked and unashamed experience that God intended from the beginning. So first, start with your marriage. And then second, model for your kids what you hope for your kids. See again, whether you realize it or not, your kids are watching what you do. And the way you follow Jesus speaks loudly, one way or the other. This is not just some theory either. In fact, research has shown that the practice of faith that the parents have is a major impact on the faith their children have or don't have. For millennials like myself, a study was done and it was found that one of the biggest contributors to millennials walking away from Christianity was that their parents preached the gospel to them but didn't live out their faith in a way that compelled my generation to love and follow Jesus. See, parents, how we follow Jesus all 168 hours of the week speaks loudly. This is what's on the line. Your kids are watching, so model for your kids 
what you hope for your kids. And thirdly, eat together. See, there is something powerful that happens when people gather around the table. We see this throughout the stories of Jesus' life called the Gospels. Over and over again, divine moments, teaching moments, relationship-building moments happen at or around the table. And if we could recapture that, it would go a long way to building relationship with your kids. So, make the dinner table a place to be present and engaged with your family. Try having a no phone or screen rule at the table. Make the table a place of conversation, a place where you talk to each other, ask questions, instead of a place where you look at your phones while you eat. See the table as a time to enter into your kids' worlds. Ask them questions, find out what they're going through, and give them space to talk about it. Be interested in them. Don't just be present, be engaged. So there it is. Three small steps to begin unfolding image bears. And again, it's not exhaustive, nor is it every way we could do this, but three small steps to start unfolding image bears and not just kids. But as good as those steps might be, at the end of the day, it's going to take far more than our best efforts, ideas, and intentions to actually go out and do this. See, we can have the vision, we can have the plan, and we can even be willing to put in all this effort to do this, but the reality is, is we'll always need something more. The task is too great. It's beyond our ability to do on our own strength. We need something more. And in Jesus, we find that something more. And this is true for whatever situation you find yourself in right now, whether you're single, married, with kids, without kids, a season of flourishing, a season of hardship. If you've got questions or you're in need of healing, whatever situation you find yourself in, Jesus is your greatest situation in that place. Jesus is your greatest resource in that place. Because when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about someone who moved toward us to rescue us from everything that separated us from God, what the Bible calls sin, and to bring us into a relationship with the God who created the world. We're talking about someone who willingly went and took on the shame of the cross and hung there naked for all to see so that you and I could be naked and unashamed before God and one another. This is the Jesus we're talking about. And it's in the message about him that we find a power to change our lives and to change our experience of every single situation. There's power in the name and the message of Jesus, but there's more. Because not only is Jesus this for us and the message about him this for us, Jesus isn't just out there somewhere. He, he's not just out there in some ethereal space. He actually lives inside those who have committed to follow him. He's closer than you can imagine that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus has sent us a helper, which means that we are not alone in this life. We're not alone in the task of marriage. We're not alone in the task of parenting. Because when the Spirit of God lives in you, then the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and is there to help you in whatever situation you find yourself in. He's there to help you follow Jesus. He's there to give you strength and hope when you feel weak and hopeless. He's there to give you wisdom and patience to shepherd and love your kids. He's there to give you what you need to lay down your life for your spouse. He's there to help you unfold image bearers who will go and represent God to the world in their unique way. See, God hasn't left you alone in the situation you find yourself in. You have a resource in the Spirit to live the kind of life God envisioned for you from the beginning. And so wherever you are at, wherever you find yourself today, 
when you have Jesus, when you have his spirit living inside of you, you have what you need to recapture what God had in mind, both for your life and for your family.